Today's show is brought to you in part by Harry's Razors. Why buy Harry's Razors? Well, they cost less. They're delivered right to your door and they give you a better shave. Seriously, I say this from personal experience. Smooth face, more money in your pocket. Go to harrys.com and at checkout, put Ziggler, Z-I-G-L-A-R in the coupon code to take $5 off the already amazingly cheap price. Friends, welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. It's my unique privilege to bring today's profound message to you. The Ziggler Show is founded on what Zig Ziggler, the world's most prolific motivator, devoted his life to, inspiring your true performance. You can have the best tools, resources, and even opportunity, but unless you are truly inspired, you will be hopeful but remain where you are. What's the definition of inspired? Listen to this. It's to influence or animate with an idea or purpose. Did you hear that? I love it. Animate with a purpose. If you want to take action, you have to know and be motivated by a true purpose. I mean, that's deep, folks, and it's why you are here. We'll dig in right now, change your world so you can go change this world. We need all of you desperately. We all know big results come from bold moves, so I'm going to give you a chance for a bold move right now. Not a commitment, just a bold move. Coming up soon is the last Ziegler Legacy course of the year. It's five days at the Ziegler headquarters with Tom Ziegler himself and the entire Ziegler team. It will radically change your life and equip you to go change the lives of others with the Ziegler banner and team around you. Go to ZieglerCertified.com and get the details. But my challenge is fill out the form at the bottom of the page. Again, it's no commitment. It's just taking a bold move to step forward and say, yes, I am interested. Let them fill you in from there and see if the timing and opportunity is right for you. But there are just a few seats more and you can look forward to going into this next year, going into the holidays, even the glory and the chaos of it, but knowing you've already set the foundation for a substantially significant turning point and new year in your life. Go to ZieglerCertified.com and tell them you heard about it from this show, The Ziegler Show, and you might just get a call from Tom Ziegler himself. Friends, today I bring you show number 342. It's titled Righteous Cash and Your Performance. Yes, we're going to talk about your faith and your money and your performance all in the same breath. We have a very special guest today who boldly stated within the show you're about to listen to, he said, money is our certificate of performance. And before you expect that the statement came from a high-powered CEO or Silicon Valley exec, I'll divulge who our guest is, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Rabbi Lappin is a best-selling author, host of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. He's one of America's most eloquent speakers and has a distinct ability to extract life principles from the Bible and transmit them into an entertaining manner, which you'll be privy to in just a moment. You're going to enjoy this and it's going to be significant. But just to give you a little background on Rabbi Lappin, before immigrating to the United States in 1973, uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin studied the Torah, listen to this, the Torah, physics, economics, and mathematics in Johannesburg, London, and Jerusalem. This seemingly unlikely combination forms the bedrock of his conviction that no conflict exists between the physical and the spiritual between virtue and strength, or faith and wealth. 
So he quickly became persuaded that God continues to smile in the United States of America, and he became a naturalized citizen on what he describes as the proudest day of his life. It was Rabbi Lavin's compelling application of permanent principles that address the problems that plague individuals and families in our nation that won him the admiration of Zig Ziglar. Uh, President George W. Bush appointed him to serve two terms on a United States commission. So Rabbi Lappin is a, I mean, a noted writer with articles appearing in the Wall Street Journal, National Review, the Washington Times, and countless other publications. His first book was called America's Real War. It was a national bestseller, but it was his third book, Thou Shall Prosper, The Ten Commandments for Making Money, which uh, has a forward by Dave Ramsey that so many people know him from, and it's really going to be the basis or, or the focus of our show and discussion with him today. But the book details the 10 permanent principles that never change, the 10 commandments of making money, if you will, and explores the economic and philosophic uh, vision of business that has been part of the Jewish culture for centuries. So you're going to get some paradigm shifts here, quite possibly have your toes stepped on, but most likely you will gain permission to go forth and make some righteous cash. All right. So on the note of business and making money, I'm a lifetime entrepreneur and business developer. And just a quick call out to anyone who's contemplating a business idea, even if it's part-time, I tell them, go now and get incorporated, okay? For reasons of writing off expenses and creating a financial history of your business, even if it's small, you need to incorporate and you need it done right. Biz Filings, okay? B-I-Z-F-I-L-I-N-G-S was founded by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs, Biz Filings, it breaks it all down step-by-step with support from on-demand experts to help you get it done right. Uh, Take the next step today with a free guide. Go to bizfilings.com slash start. Okay, folks, I want you to listen intently as Tom Ziegler and I bring you what may be a life and financial altering discussion right now with Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Rabbi Lappin, this is the first time that I have ever had the honor of talking with you, but uh, have known your name yeah, for so many years as you hold such a significant place of respect uh, for my father, Dan Miller, uh, which you know, and then to later realize that you have been such a great resource and influencer and friend uh, to Zig and the whole Ziegler family. It's just a profound honor to have you on the Ziegler Show today. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, yeah, especially... Yeah, well, especially in light of you Skyping into us right now from uh, Israel. so uh, Literally within sight of the ancient walls built by Suleiman the Magnificent in the 16th century, although he wasn't that magnificent, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Thank you. And Tom, I know you have known Rabbi Lappin for quite a while. I want you to tell us, uh, how, how did you guys get to know each other, Tom? Well, I got to know uh, Rabbi Lappin through Dad, and uh, they had a uh, friendship for many years and corresponded and kind of a mutual admiration society. And uh, I tell you what really hit me, though, is, uh, you know, Dad in his later years, he decided that he was going to, uh, he and Mom were going to move into a, a smaller community of uh, to where they could live in their re- in their retirement, so they moved to this assisted, uh, not an assisted, but just a senior living community. And it was my job as the son to clean out the library that Dad had accumulated over all of his years of study. 
So I went in there and I had to sort through 3,000 books. Mm. 3,000. And my task was, which ones do we keep? Which ones do we store? Which ones do we give away? Now, the giveaway part was easy because some books he had eight or ten copies of. You know, those were ones that he was giving away. Mm. You know, so that sorted it down. And then I made this decision. And here's the decision I made. If the book had his handwriting in it, if the pages were turned over, if there were tabs in it, then I would open that book, I would read it, and I would set it aside. That's a keeper. You know, that's that's going with us. And so I'm reading this book, flipping through the pages, and Dad's underlining is everywhere. And all of a sudden, I realize I've heard this section in a speech. It was a concept on you know, capitalism and success and money. And, and I'd heard dad tell it in his own zig way. And I literally thought to myself, wow, this is like discovering buried treasure. Mm. And I closed the book and the title of the book was Buried Treasure by Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And I just remember almost a chill going through me that this connection was there. And of course that cemented that and I think, Rabbi, I've, sh- I've shared this with you on a couple of occasions, but it's just an honor to have you on the show. And uh, I know you impacted Dad with your, with your wisdom and your, and your thoughts on ancient Jewish wisdom. So we're happy to have you here. And, Kevin, I know you've got some great things planned. Well, uh, to that, Tom, let me just say that uh, you, uh, you downplay um, our own relationship between you and Susan and me. Uh, while you're absolutely correct, uh, what we what we had with your dad was unforgettable and very very special. At the same time, uh, Susan and I um, have never forgotten and remain always grateful for some very important advice uh, you've shared with us over the years. And uh, I can only tell you that everything you've told us has been implemented. None of your time with us was ever wasted. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's, that's a blessing. Thank you. Well, Rabbi Lappin, and and uh, likewise, I want to ask, what is where did your initial experience with Zig come from? How did that formulate that led to him citing you as such a trusted and valued resource? Well, I think first of all, uh, I would make clear that um, what he was reacting to was not Daniel Lappin, but what he was reacting to was the um, the authentic original biblical wisdom that he happened to see through me acting as a as a window if you like and uh, and I was always very very aware that uh, that whilst we had a, a close and loving relationship um, it was based on both of us uh, sharing a, a love and a loyalty to the original word mm. okay well, speaking of the original word, I mean, in, in your books, your writings, your presentations, your overall uh, prolific sources of content and teaching that you're so ingrained in, you hit on many subjects, and while you're incredibly respectful and gracious to all, you don't shy away from, and, and you seem to gravitate towards the hard issues and the intersections between or even overlapping of faith and secular topics. I mean, most people veer far away from this, as you know, I mean, in the church for your uh, you talk about churchy things, family and health, and you know God is good, and you leave the business and money, and, and honestly, the real world day-to-day talk for Monday through Saturday outside of the church walls. And I'm thinking that when you walk into such places, people are either eager 
for the fresh uh, air of real life that you bring in, or they quickly walk away in fear of getting uncomfortable. And uh, a quote that I found recently and have heard multiple times since then and appreciate greatly is, the mission of the church is to comfort the distressed and distress the comfortable. And I'm sensing you would be in agreement with this perspective? Um. Not, not really, not really. I mean, I, you know, it sort of resonates and and so on. But, but what what worries me about that um, particular statement um, is that the implication is that um, the suffering of virtuous by their suffering, mm. and uh, it completely overlooks the possibility. I won't say probability, but at least the possibility that the suffering are often complicit in their own pain. Okay. Okay. They're, well, not, they're, not, they're not necessarily always victims. Uh, the late uh, heavyweight prize fighter Jack Dempsey used to complain that he could never go out to a bar because there's always going to be somebody, he said, who took a swing at him. And he said that uh, the the reason people did it is that if by some lucky chance they landed a good one and knocked him down, they boast for the rest (laughs) of their lives that they knocked down the great Jack Dempsey. And uh, if he retaliates, they go around boasting about how Jack Dempsey beat them up. Mm. And so uh, and then at that point, nobody ever says to them, well, you know, why did you start up with him? And I think similarly, particularly in the area of economic stress. Uh, the notion that people who are struggling financially did something wrong is like unacceptable because it is politically incorrect to quote blame the victim. Right. You see. Right. And uh, and I think it's really important to make a distinction between heaven forbid health problems. You know, health problems happen. Um, family problems happen to all of us. But. of the time when money problems happen, it's because of bad decisions you made yesterday. Okay. Well, so on that topic of economic stress, and I know you from the book, uh, uh, Thou Shall Prosper, I mean, so many people, uh, especially those who claim faith and spirituality as significant parts of their lives and beliefs, are somewhat ambivalent about wanting more money. They think it must be selfish and potentially greedy. So do you think it's okay to ask God for more money? Um, actually, I don't. Uh, I think it's a little bit like uh, asking God for, uh, for more energy. And I think God would say, you know, I put a whole lot of really good food out there in the world. Why don't you just go get some and you'll discover you'll have some energy. Okay. And I think it's a little bit like that in the sense that um, uh, it's, it's not the Jewish way to pray to God for money okay. because God's response is, hello, I've put a whole lot of my other children there for you to serve. If you just get on with focusing on being obsessively preoccupied with filling their needs and desires, guess what? The money will flow. Okay. So we might pray, please, God, show me some more of your children whom I can serve. Show me ways I can please and satisfy the needs of your other children. That, yes, but not, oh, God, please, I need another $1,000 for the mortgage this month. Right. So, Rabbi... 
dad's known for his quote, you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. It sounds like there's a root there. Oh, absolutely. And uh, countless times he and I chuckled at, um, at, at how central that basic theme was to ancient Jewish wisdom. And through his beautiful Christian background, he came up with exactly the same thing. And you're right. I mean, if there's, if there's one phrase, and I, I quote him all the time, and everybody in the audience always grins broadly when I say that, because everybody knows that that was your dad's fundamental basic point, and it's, it's so important, you cannot afford to, to forget it. Well, I want to I want to come back to something that you said there, uh, Rabbi. I live outside of Colorado Springs. They call it the Bible Belt of the Rockies. Lots of ministries out here. Lots of uh, lots of folks who are striving diligently to do that to serve people. And I know that there are many of them who are struggling financially, and they're struggling exactly with what you said, which I'm going to come back to what you mentioned earlier, though, that within that there is serving, but uh, there's also wisdom, and we can still suffer from making those poor decisions. And there's the quandary that I think so many people fall in. What do you say to those folks who are listening right now? Because there's going to be uh, tens of thousands and many of them who feel like I'm in there. I- I'm, I'm serving. I can't hardly give any more. I've devoted my life. And yet I'm not seeing that financial abundance that I would love to have because I would give even of it more. Yes. Um, well, again, uh, sometimes the focus is on what I want to do not on what other people need. And so uh, I may be serving away like crazy. I mean, take me, for instance. I I love boating. And so I could be out there on a boat uh, being really working hard. And, you know, on a small boat, you've got to hoist and lower the anchor. You've got to maintain the engine. You've got to run the mooring lines. And so I'm busy serving. And all I want to do is help people go boating. There's nobody there who wants to pay me to do that because I'm not looking out there to see what do people need. Mm. I'm focusing on what I feel like doing. And uh, very often, uh, particularly in ministry, that can be the same thing as well. Uh, It it breaks my heart when I visit, and you know I speak in 30, 40 churches a year easily. And uh, of those numbers, many of them, uh, or at least some of them, are... uh, are churches where you arrive and you see uh, the signs of financial stress. Mm. You know, deferred maintenance, uh, it needs some paint, it needs new siding, the landscaping isn't taken care of, the pastor's wife has a face that shows stress lines from not being able to pay the bills. I, I, I see the signs within five minutes. And whenever I see that, I almost always am able to identify the basic problem, uh, which is number one, um, Obviously, poverty equals virtue. The fact that we're struggling shows that we're dedicated to God. And, uh, and number two, they're not treating the, uh, the church like a business in the sense of looking around and saying, what do people around here really need from their church? Not what do we like doing, what is our favorite ministry, but doing a literally a, uh, uh, even a, a formal survey. And many successful churches have hired and engaged 
specialist companies to poll and survey the neighborhood to find out what what do people really need from their church and uh, and those are the organizations that succeed so i would say that uh, people have a lot of trouble from getting away from this idea that just struggling or just serving or just having a heart of a servant it's all very nice but you're not delivering necessarily what people want and this was you know god gave us a, an epiphanous moment when uh, when we uh, began early in, in our ministry, and my wife and I were, we, we understood the nonprofit sector, and we were going to go ahead and raise money from Tom to give Jerry all the wonderful material that we produced. And, and then we realized that it was going to be very painful because deep down in our hearts, we had no way of really knowing if Jerry was going to grow from this material or whether he was going to simply toss it out and ignore it. And the only way to make sure that Jerry would value the material and study it and invest time in it and share it with his friends was if he paid quite a lot of money for it. And that was when we realized that uh, we had to charge for our material because only once people had made that investment could we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were actually able to impact their hearts. And, uh, and so we could well have carried on the way we were before and simply, you know, asking people to donate money so we can put out this material and, and we'd feel real good and we'd say, oh, we're serving, we're serving, we're serving. But there'd be absolutely no indication that we really were. Okay, yeah, you are echoing something I learned from my dad, uh, Dan Miller, as he started coaching and counseling and finally came to a point, he says, I will not do it for free ever. Uh, even I, I, I remember your dad saying that, yeah. and, uh, and, and Kevin, he, he obviously wrote that, and he's also told it to me in person at the moment where he realized this was no good. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you're given some big marketplace counsel. When you go back to talking about churches and seeing those that are obviously financially strapped and what is obvious to you, and your counsel to be turned to your congregation, turned to your community, see what they need. And I have seen some leaders, you're talking about a leadership aspect that is going to be difficult for a lot of people to hear. And I will admit that I have violated that very principle myself as I, in my, in my good intent, in my idealism, in my uh, desire to serve God in what I am doing, where I have thought, I'm looking to him, what do you want me to do? Where, where do they need to go? And of course, I lead that, and I have run aground in doing that, as opposed to doing just what you're talking about and turning around and asking. There, there takes, uh, that takes some humility to be able to do that. And it's, by the way, it's no different in the corporate sector, where, uh, yeah. where I consult with a company that's had decades of success, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, revenue starts falling and declining and, uh, and uh, profitability drops. And, and you find, by the way, Crocs is a very good example uh-huh. of that, uh, where it was a, um, a high-flying stock. Uh, those ugly plastic neon shoes were flying <laughs> off the shelves. And, um, and then all of a sudden, plummeting. And it was exactly the same thing. They had totally forgotten to worry about what did people really want. And all they were focused on was what they wanted to do and the image they held of themselves. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and and they're far from alone. Uh, how frequently this this uh, uh, this dilemma is encountered in in the corporate sector, where where companies are so filled with their own vision. And right. I'll tell you the honest truth. One of the taken down off the wall and tossed away. Stop with your mission statement. We really don't care what you believe or what your mission is. We'll judge you on what your performance. We, we really aren't interested in your mission statement. Just do it. And let's see what doing it really means. Are you obsessively preoccupied on me, the customer, or are you so focused on your vision and your belief? We really don't care about that. Okay, I hear your passion. I can see it in your face here. Okay, so and I'm going to ask you about, you've got a, a book coming up, Business Secrets from the Bible, Spiritual Success Strategies for Financial Abundance. And I want to talk about that, but as you're talking uh, in regards to business here, do you find sometimes that some of the more impassioned, I mean, passionate business leaders and and spiritual leaders, anybody on it with a platform, that those who may have the best intent, I mean, their heart is in the right place. Do they sometimes more so violate that aspect of not paying attention to the want uh, because they're so driven in a good way, good intent, again, with that need, as opposed to those who may not have as much of a, even a focus for the for humanity at large, they're more prone to understand the dynamics of the marketplace. They lead with the want to get to the need. And before Rabbi answers that, a company that absolutely understands the dynamics of the marketplace and what their target market wants and needs is Harry's Razors. I mean, folks, of course, they paid to be promoted on this show, but they also converted me from 44 years of shaving with an electric razor. Tom Ziegler as well shaves his handsome mug each day with Harry's Razors. So look, for 15 bucks, you get a razor, three blades that, at least for me, last a really long time, and your choice of Harry's Shave Cream or Foaming Shave Gel. I use the cream. Uh, and if you'll visit harrys.com right now and order, put Ziggler, Z-I-G-L-A-R, in the coupon code, it'll take five bucks off. So 10 bucks for a box of shaving brilliance. And I've seen review after review where Harry's comes out on top for giving the smoothest closest shave. And I know we're in this beard fad right now, but you know, my gorgeous wife says she prefers to kiss my face when I'm clean shaven. And if you've ever seen my wife, well, I think you'd shave too. And you'd use Harry's to get as smooth as possible. So go to harrys.com. Use Ziggler in the coupon code to take five bucks off. And, um, you know, I think that, um, that, that, Tom has probably encountered this uh, in his work, and uh, I'm sure you have, and your dad has. Um, you know, uh, in the um, in the 17th century, the pirates of the Caribbean um, they had a lot of things right. Now, the successful ones are the ones that never got caught and uh, lived out their lives happily plundering and profiting. And when they finally retired they invariably would build um, a church or a cathedral uh, or, or some large civic structure as a way of expiating their sins mm -hmm. and being welcomed back into society. And uh, we have a little bit of that in the business world in America today, in the corporate world, 
where uh, you'll, you'll, you'll very, very often encounter pompous proclamations from corporate leaders along the lines of, uh, we're not just money-driven. Right. Excuse me? What exactly does that mean? You're a corporation. And what it reveals is a failure to understand the inherent morality and dignity of doing business. Mm. Being measured by the money you make is simply another way of saying being measured by how much you're satisfying other children of God. That's what it means. The last thing I want you to do with the company in which I hold stock is to start doing good in the world because that's going to cost me shareholder dividends. I want you to focus on making money. The last thing I want to hear is about your charitable contributions. Don't you dare give away my money. You give the money to me, I'll decide which charities I want to support. Corporations giving charity is nothing other than a failure to validate the virtue of the business enterprise. Okay, there's got to be some business owners out there at varying levels whose worlds just got rocked by that statement, uh, especially those who would claim a faith-based perspective in their own personal lives. So uh, just let's, let's talk about money for, for just a moment, just hard cash money. One, one of my favorite topics. I know, I know. So, uh, you know, asking Kevin, you— Kevin, it's not hard cash. <laughs> It's soft. It's warm. That's okay. That's right. Point taken. For you, for you Ziegler fans, you need to go in and listen, and you'll understand who I was quoting. Okay. Get- By the way, I should just tell you, Tom, and I, I repeat it everywhere all the time, um, is that there's no reason for anybody to be unemployed in America today. There's no reason why you cannot tomorrow, anybody, walk through the beautiful portal labeled sales. And all you got to do is buy a bunch of Ziegler training audios. That's all you got to do. And you can literally knock on the door of any company in America because you won't be costing them anything. You'll be a profit center. So, yeah, sales, absolutely. Go in there. Well, so tell me before we and we've got some other things I want to I want to ask you about, but uh, give us a little little background on this latest book. Again, the title and folks, you can to, to look for it: Business Secrets from the Bible: Spiritual Success Strategies for Financial yes. Abundance. Uh, tell us about the impetus of that new book. Um, well, I think it was it was partially um, a television interview. I did years ago with a pornographer, a notorious pornographer. He, he and I were both guests on a television show. And, um, and the, uh, the interviewer started with him, and I pretty soon got the idea that I was in the intended target of the show mm-hmm. um, because the, uh, the interviewer said, well, uh, Mr. Uh, and his name was, it'll come back to me in a moment, um, uh, Susan is here with it, Screw Magazine was the the, the uh, was his main publication back then, and it was not a journal of the hardware industry. I should point out, um, and he uh, he he started talking in terms of um, he said, you know, um, 
I uh, am really um, helping America overcome um, their, uh, their prudish preoccupation uh, with uh, primitive values. Uh, I'm helping America become more natural. I'm helping America accept their sexuality. I'm, uh, anyway, he carried on like that for quite a while. And uh, at the end, uh, when the interviewer turned to me, um, he said, and what do you have to say to that, Ravel? And I said, well, I'm enormously grateful to Mr. Al, was it Alan, not Ginsburg, right? It was something like that. Was it, it'll come back to me. Uh, I said, I'm really very grateful to you because uh, up till now, I thought you were a depraved little midget selling the disgusting to the degenerate. And now I realize that we really ought to be building a monument to you on the mall. Uh, you've, you've really helped me understand something profound which is that nobody can succeed at any activity that deep in his heart he considers to be morally reprehensible. So even you cannot say what you do. You have to couch it in elevating terms. And if it's true for you, it's true for everybody. Mm. And uh, I realized that uh, unless people could really get in touch, and I'm, I'm not talking about everybody because nobody has the answer for everybody, but I am mostly interested in um, those entrepreneurs and, uh, and, and medium-sized business owners and shareholders and, uh, and activists who, um, who believe that there is something decent and honorable about life, who believe that there is a way of uniting uh, your calling with your career. Right. And I realized that um, I needed to help people understand a basic question, which is what was God's original intention for human economic interaction? Because if I believe that God's vision of me is that my time making money is greedy and venal and unworthy and remote and, and distancing me from him, then all the Ziegler tapes in the world are not going to turn me into a success. Right. But if I understand that God's vision for human economic interaction is serving one another and that the process of doing so is in itself elevating, well, now bring on the tools, I'm ready to prosper. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, let us share with everybody how ancient Jewish wisdom views the entire world of human economic interaction right there in the Bible. And that was how uh, or why I wrote uh, the, uh, this, this new book, um, uh, Business Secrets from the Bible. Rabbi, that, that explanation there is exactly why we give that book to every one of our Ziegler Legacy certified trainers. When they come through our course, uh, the five-day certification, one of the gifts that we give them is that book. And the reason for that is we want them to feel secure and empowered that the more they, people they serve, the more certificates of appreciation they get, right? right. Which is what you call affectionately what money is. It's a certificate uh, of performance. That's right. It, that's right. it proves that you performed to God's satisfaction. You pleased another human being. One and of our, uh, what? One of our uh, certified trainers, his name is Gary Moyer. 
Uh, he's actually in the ministry. He sends me an email last week. And Dad is famous for this quote that says, you've got to be before you can do, and you've got to do before you can have. And so here's a minister, and he writes me back, and he says, hey, I want to add something to the quote. Is it okay with you? And I said, sure, what is it? So he said, it's this. You've got to be before you can do. You've got to do before you can have. And you have to have before you can give. And I thought, wow, you know, that's like the, the perfect, you know, exclamation point on that quote, because right. we got to have first before we can help others. Exactly right. And, uh, and because I'm a rabbi, there's always another hand, you know, on one hand and on the other hand. So that, on, on that hand, that's right. And then on the other hand, one of the questions I ask seminar participants before we get down to work is why do you want more money? I presume you want more money, otherwise you wouldn't be sitting here today. But why do you want more money? Mm -hmm. And uh, almost to a man or woman, the most... All right, we got and it. then say to them, I don't like that answer. Because you should be giving now, just less, that's all. You should be giving no matter where you are. I think one of the great tragedies of American politics today is the very large number of Americans who pay no tax at all. Go. And so, as I said, the, uh, the, the phrase that more frequently than any other uh, I hear when I ask people, why do you want to make more money? The answer always is because I want to be able to give away more money as well. And I said, look, that's completely separate, um, that each and every one of us has an obligation uh, to give away at least 10% of our income. It's, it's a wonderful thing. We, we have a, a good and loving God who allows us to work on a 90% commission. Where else are you going to get a boss like that? This is great. But uh, that's nothing to do with this conversation. When I asked why you want to make more money, it's not because you want to give it away. That's not the real reason. The real reason that uh, I want to make more money is because that means it's proof to me that I am taking care of more of God's children. And one of the great fundamental needs that are built into us, and of course, we all understand the physical needs that God built into us, right? We all need oxygen, we need water, we need food, we need to maintain a body core temperature. I know all that. But we don't always know the equivalent spiritual needs that God built into us. And one of them is that we should all have the opportunity to give. God built us as givers, not takers. And for us to be consistently taken corrodes our souls. And so the great thing about making money is that it proves to me that I'm being a giver. Because every single person... A dollar bill in hand or in my pocket or in my wallet or in my account, somebody for whom I must something that was more valuable to than the dollar bill he gave to me. It might be mm -hmm. a client of mine, it might be a, it might be a, 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 a relative, it could be anything. It's somebody who gave that dollar because whatever it was for him was of greater value. And that's a beautiful thing. 
Well, and you've made some significant statements. I, I got to tell you, it was, um, I don't know how many weeks ago, maybe a month or more ago, we did a Facebook post, posted a question on the Ziegler Facebook page asking people what their monetary goal was. Was it for great abundance? Was it for just enough to get by or, uh, or, or did they feel there was some, yeah, some, uh, benefit in poverty. The greatest answer came across. People did want abundance. And the reason why is to give it away. And that is exactly the question we pose. Is that enough of a motive? And, uh, and now I feel premature in, in that show now that we've talked because you're giving so much more to that. I mean, a statement, you made a statement. I mean, money is a, a certificate of performance. That's a volatile statement. I mean, it, it absolutely is. And I, I, you know, a lot of people are going to hear that. And it's going to be significantly uncomfortable. And I know you've talked around this. I just want to hit it again. Money is a certificate of performance. For those who are squirming or or just got angry at that statement. Well, I think maybe it'll help if I qualify it. Look, if you got that dollar bill I was talking about, if you got that because you held up a convenience store, then that's not really what I'm talking about. That's no certificate of performance at all. Uh, That is a moral indictment. If you got that dollar bill because you mugged a little old lady and took her pocketbook, then that's also no certificate of performance. Uh, If you got that dollar bill by defrauding other human beings, well, that's no dollar, that's no certificate of performance. And, uh, And frankly, if you got it by persuading the government to confiscate it from some people and give it to you, I'm not too crazy about that one either. But if we rule out all of that, and what we're left with is the only way you got it is by pleasing another human being. Uh, You served them, you you sold them something, you, 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 you provided a service to them, but whatever it is, somebody happily gave you that dollar bill. Well, how could God not be smiling at that situation? I hear you on that. How do you speak to those, again, going to the, those who are missionaries, who are in full-time ministry, and we almost by rote expect those people to be struggling financially, to make just enough to get by, they're donor-supported, things of that nature. And yet, if I hear you correctly, you're saying if you are providing a value to someone else, you should be financially compensated and compensated well. Um, absolutely. And people will do that automatically. You know, I think we all like uh, we all like giving money away. That's completely separate. I like making money because it satisfies me in terms of knowing that I've been a giver. I, I've been a net asset to society. And uh, and and by the way, I mean talking about making people squirm. I take no pleasure in making people squirm or making people uncomfortable. But I do like asking folks, who do you think has done more for more people? Mother Teresa or Bill Gates. Now, I'm not talking about who's a bigger saint or who has a purer heart. These are things that only God knows. But I'm talking about who has done more for more human beings. And I don't think there's, there's any question or doubt in, 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 at all. I mean, done more for more human beings. And so uh, in, when it comes to, to uh, ministry, The real question is not, as I said earlier, it's not a case of doing what you think is ministry. 
it's doing what people need. And, and we all love giving money. We do. We like giving money. But we all respond. Do we not respond better to a request that says, come along and be part of a ministry that is changing the world one heart at a time. Come along and take a look at how exciting this is. Come along and visit with folks. Take a look and see what we're doing. And you get all excited and you get moved by what you see and you happily open your wallet. Right. But then there's another kind of appeal, which is we're about to go down the tubes. We're about to close the door. It's hopeless. Only you can save us. And I don't respond that well. You know, if, if, if somebody's suffering, I, I certainly want to try and help out. But basically what I'm going to say is, listen, maybe the best thing is to close the doors, have a good hard think, and then reopen a different set of doors. But if, if, if you're not growing and if you're not doing something that's exciting, you're not doing something that is really satisfying the needs of lots and lots of people – it's going to be hard to get me excited about it. Okay, that, that's significant. And I, I got to share, it was a handful of years ago, and I was hired by a couple businessmen, business owners, to help with some marketing and branding, branding for some ministries that they sat on the boards uh, for. That was exactly, Rabbi, their statement. They said, we are tired of getting the inquiries to help us keep the lights on. We want to know what you're doing. What's exciting? What is our money going to go towards that is going to make us proud? And they said, we're, we're selfish, selfish guys. We, ha- we, have, uh, we want to see our money doing great things, keeping the lights on. That's not motivating at all. Tell me no, what the, you're doing. The, the, the parallel with the for-profit world is, is, is true, which is that I'm not going to buy shares in a company that is going downhill and needs to raise more capital to keep the lights on. <laughs> That's just not what I'm doing. Okay. Well, so I, I, I want to hit on this. So, you know, your, your, your latest book, and of course, the one that I know you again so well from, Thou Shall Prosper, which folks, the, the tagline on there is the 10 commandments for making money. And the best that you're going to do, I hope you're inspired by this show, but you need to go get those books. But I want to know for you, uh, Rabbi Lappin, what is it that sparked the interest in this specific topic of money? Was it a personal experience for you? Was it just a, an issue that you saw in the culture? Why have you chosen this aspect as your as a primary platform uh, well um, it started off because I realized uh, two things the first thing I realized was that the entire Garden of Eden story at the beginning of Genesis is about sex and money which happened to be not surprisingly two very primal human preoccupations mm. Um, on the one hand, we're introduced to male-female relationships as Adam meets Eve. And, uh, and that is why I uh, created a, uh, an audio CD program called Madam, I Am Adam, Decoding Marriage Secrets from Eden, mm. uh, because that's what it's about. But the second part of it is, uh, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. And that's not a statement just to Adam. It's a statement to mankind forever and ever, which is by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. Not by the sweat of my brow, you will eat bread. And I won't eat bread by the sweat of your brow. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. And throughout Hebrew nomenclature, throughout the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, the word bread has a simple meaning of bread. 
it also has a deeper encoded meaning of money. And that's so deeply rooted in the human psyche right. that in many languages, not just English, that Hebrew principle permeates. And that's why you'll sometimes hear people say in English, have you got any dough or can you lend me some bread? Because bread and dough are metaphors for money, just as they are in the Old Testament. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread means that um, you will eat by producing money. And so I realized that, that this was very fundamental to the human experience, that right at the beginning of the story of humanity, God is implanting a basic concept about money. And, uh, and then I saw that the people of the book, the people who have been lovingly dedicated to the pages of Scripture for longer than anyone else are the Jews. And guess what? Jews are disproportionately good with money. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Out of the Forbes 400, considering that Jews are 2% of America's population, there should be eight or nine Jews. But there are about 100 every single year. How do you explain that? Well, the answer came out in the book, Thou Shall Prosper. Okay. Well, again, there are people that are getting their thoughts turned upside down right now. I'm so grateful for you uh, sharing this. I want to hit on another an overarching theme that you have in all your topics, including this one that we're talking about right now, money, is uh, your statement is the more things change, the more you must depend upon those things that never change. In today's economy, today's marketplace, in business today, what are some primary aspects of money that you see changing and what non-changing aspects do we need to anchor even more so onto? Well, uh, you know, Going back to uh, 2000, 2001, 2002, uh, I, I remember uh, sounding a little bit like, uh, like the, 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 the lonely prophet, um, you know, who, who people are throwing stones at and not listening to because I pointed out there that um, the things that never change are profit. Profit is an example of something that never changes. The issue is not eyeballs. We don't hear that so often now, but maybe you'll remember how, uh, you know, 12 or 15 years ago, people used to speak, oh, we got eyeballs on the website, millions of eyeballs. And I explained then, I said, you got to remember that when things are changing as rapidly as they are changing now, with the whole evolution of an internet and an e-based economy, it's now more important than ever to remember that we must rely on those things that never change. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that never changes is that profit matters, revenue matters, cash flow matters, eyeballs, not so much. Mm -hmm. And so that would be an example of keeping your eye on the fundamentals that never change. Another one today is friends. People will tell me, I've got 5,000 friends on Facebook. Let me tell you something that never changes. Five customers are worth more than 5,000 friends. Don't right. forget that. Right. Oh, okay, you're, you're, you're getting in uh, our territory right here. The Ziggler Facebook fan page. 
three, I think we're approaching three and a half million likes at some point, which is great to see the proliferation, to see the quotes go to that many people is wonderful. But uh, Ziggler is a corporation that is there to make a profit and uh, pay the people who work there. And so, Tom, you know, in looking at that, realize, okay, it's great that we have that much, that much people, that many people viewing it. But is it relating to revenue? And in all honesty, for the the success that that seemed to be, the answer is no, not in an adequate measure. And he's made some significant changes that have uh, that are changing that dramatically. And to yeah. his, to, go ahead. yeah, of course he gets that. But uh, but we've got to help it. Lots of other people get it as well. Because right now you've got to remember that the the only person who's reliably making money on Facebook is Zuckerberg. <laughs> Right, uh, right. Because, and again, uh, there are ways of of using uh, social media effectively, and, and I'm sure you both are, are, are way up on these things. But, uh, but one has to remember that boasting about how many friends or likes you have isn't the thing. What Facebook does is exploit our basic need to connect with one another. God created us to connect. Uh, people who are lonely, isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, are not successful, are not happy, are not fulfilled. Uh, Ted Kaczynski, you might remember him as the Unabomber, Mm -hmm. uh, was not a busy executive with a lively family that he went home to every night. He was a lonely hermit who lived alone in a hut on the hillside. And he spent his time figuring out ways to send bombs, to blow people's hands off. Um, This is a very, very basic idea. And, um, and look, frankly, sex is part of that, our deep desire to connect in every possible way that the, the good Lord opened up for us. And so uh, social media is exciting to us precisely because it satisfies that need to connect. And that's great. And now let's also remember that we're supposed to devote a third of our time to making money, a third of our time to satisfying other people. And, uh, and, and just being on social media doesn't qualify. Okay. You know, Rabbi, an interesting thing has happened with, our, with both our podcast and our Facebook page. Uh, Kevin started over uh, relaunching the podcast almost a year ago. And very soon after that, he said, we need to get sponsors. And so he sought out sponsors, and all of a sudden we've had to add episodes because we have more sponsors than we have shows. And as a result, we've said we've got to up the game on the show. We've got to bring in guests who have credibility in different areas. And so as a result, the product that we're turning out is better and it gets passed on more and more. Our Facebook kind of took a similar thing. We were posting on Facebook quote posters, which are beautiful. I mean, what's better than a Zig Ziglar quote? And they get shared you know, in the millions. But the reality is, is it's very difficult to learn from a simple quote how to live life. It's a good saying. It might lift you up in the moment. And so the strategy dictated that we needed to provide articles. And so now we link to articles, which you can. You can read on the Ziegler Vault article after article, which changes your life. And all of a sudden, we now are very desirable to advertisers and within the articles we can link to specific products that fulfill the need and the want that people have. Right. 
And so if our mission was to make friends, we did that beautifully. I mean, 3.6 mm -hmm. million friends. That's good. Right? That is good. But what are we really doing for our friends yeah. if we don't give them the meat and the substance that can impact their life? Right. And so when the dollar picture came in and we said, wow, how can we, how can we monetize this? How can we do even better? The end result was is we had to give people more, and they naturally wanted to give us more. And so it's that win-win. So, yeah, we could be doing quote posters constantly like we did before, but at the end of the day, it was just a warm feeling. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Look, uh, I don't care whether, whether you're a ministry or a corporation, but if folks are not willing to pay for what you deliver in one way or another, then you have to rethink your plan. Then you may not be satisfying human beings. That the um, I want to hit on thou shalt prosper. I want to hit a couple of your commandments uh, that you've got in there of the Ten Commandments. By the way, just, just to make sure that I prosper as well, can we give out the website too? <laughs> Absolutely. Please, where for the new book and for Thou Shalt Prosper, yes, where shall we go? Um, the best place is to go to youneedarabbi.com. Ah, okay. Okay, you need a rabbi, and folks, rabbi is R-A-B-B-I. Dot com. Okay, wonderful. I, and I, I literally, uh, as soon as we hang up here, I need to get your book because as much as Tom talks about giving away business secrets from the Bible to the ZLC attendees, as the host of The Ziggler Show, apparently I didn't rank high enough to uh, be, be in the giving. So I'm going to go buy the book. And I have a dear friend who's a business owner who has a flourishing business, but has had some questions around that, uh, around the, the making money and from a, a biblical standpoint and his service to God, he is going to be incredibly blessed by the book. So I think we'll go through it together. So thank you. Well, I, I was very gratified to discover that right here in Jerusalem, uh, there's a bookstore doing well selling the book. So I'm very, ah, very happy about that. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, so your first commandment, and thou shalt prosper, is believe in the dignity and morality of business. And I think we probably hit on that topic pretty adequately. But the second commandment you have in there, and again, folks, this is a, this is a commandment for making money. And what you just went over in regards to social media and likes and friends and stuff, your statement, second commandment, folks, extend the network of your connectedness to many people. But based on what you just went over, uh, Rabbi, I assume that that is a far deeper connectedness than what we have on social media. Yes? Um, absolutely, yes. The, the, the important thing, obviously, is not to confuse the superficiality of social media with a relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, and look, uh, we're all in business, uh, with the possible exception of tenured university professors and Supreme Court justices. Uh, the rest of us are in business, which means that um, we're able to be fired. Mm -hmm. uh, the local coffee shop is in business. I can fire them by choosing to get my coffee somewhere else. Right. And uh, the same is true. Uh, you know, many people graduate professional school and become doctors or lawyers, and, uh, and they think, well, they got a, a license to print money, and they don't realize that they also are in business. And unless they learn how to operate a business, uh, you know, people sometimes say, I've had doctors say, do you have any idea of uh, what a good doctor I am? I don't need what you're teaching. And I said, hey, not only do I not want to give it to you if you don't feel you need it, 
But even if you do feel you need it, I wouldn't give it to you. I'd only sell it to you. So we're a long way from doing business. Right. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, look, the overwhelming majority of people who go to a doctor, do you think they know where in his class in medical school he graduated? And he thought for a moment and he said, well, I, I guess there's no way they'd know where I graduated. And I said, right. Number two, do you think that anyone in your waiting room actually knows which medical school you attended? Or for that matter, do you think they actually know that you really did attend medical school? And he said, well, obviously. I said, no, it's not obvious. Uh, he said, well, they look at the diploma on the wall. I said, no, you give me a computer and a printer and Photoshop in an hour, I'll turn out a wonderful diploma. Mm -hmm. so that, that means nothing. No. People go to a doctor because of personal recommendations. Right. And what makes people recommend their doctor? That it's basically good customer service. Mm -hmm. You've got to treat your patients as if they're customers. If you don't, you will be out of business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You, uh, I want to hit a couple of your commandments before we wrap up here. Your third commandment, and again, I'm, and I don't know that you listed them by order of priority, but it was it was uh, relevant to me. It really caught my attention. Your third commandment for making money, folks, listen, is get to know yourself. Now, here we are at Ziggler, which you know sales is a primary platform, and when we think of that, we often think of getting to know other people. But here you're saying, no, you want to make money, get to know yourself. I, I want to know the reasoning behind that. Well, um, Tom's dad uh, believed this, uh, practiced it, taught it, and, and Tom alluded a bit earlier, speaking about you have to be mm -hmm. before you can do. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's really just a, a more elegant way of saying what, what I try to say at the, in, in, in the third chapter, which is that you do have to know yourself uh, because, you see, the general rule is that uh, if you cannot measure something, you cannot improve it. Um, if you don't own a scale, I don't think you can ever lose weight because you have no way of measuring day-to-day -day progress or week-to-week -week progress in your dieting and in your exercise regimen. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yes. And so uh, in the same way, uh, we don't believe, none of us here believe that you can do better by learning a series of tricks to play on your customers. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's how it really works because people see through anything that lacks authenticity. And so at the end of the day, if you really want to prosper, you have to not just do the right thing, you have to become the right person. And you can't do that if you don't know yourself to begin with. You have to know what is intrinsic to you. You also have to know uh, what are superficial veneers. For instance, uh, people will sometimes say to me, look, you know, I, I saw in your book you speak a lot about building relationships and how to do that and how to measure it. And well, you know, I'm just really uh, a very shy, introverted person. I'm not a people person. I don't like being with people. I say, okay, fine. Now, what we really have to analyze here is what's the real you and what is the garbage that you picked up in your childhood that wired you in such a way that made you retreat from human connection. Mm. Am I making sense? Yes. yes. That's what I mean by getting to know the real you and being able to shed the garbage and, and when necessary, even repair 
aspects of yourself that are damaging and detrimental to your progress. Yes, you're hitting uh, incredibly close to home here, Rabbi. I'm I'm 44 years old. Last year, 2014, I embarked into personal counseling for the first time in my life, realizing I am a king when it comes to doing. Uh, I was a past endurance athlete. I can do. I, I can outdo a lot of people, and I can. That's my fallback. I can do, and I did not know how to be. And that hit a high point in my, or I should say a low point in my marriage and some other relationships, bringing me back to the reality of, I have got to know me. I don't, I look forward and have not looked at the face to face or in the past. And that was, it, it came to a crescendo and I dealt with that. So you are, you are hitting very close home. Thank you. Um, for that. Well, folks, I hope you heard that. I want to, I want to ask one more question here, Rob. I'd love to go on for a couple hours. I know you've got places to be and beautiful meals to have there in your homeland. Uh, so uh, this last commandment, your 10th commandment, uh, I loved it. It had Zig Ziglar written all over it again as well, but was never retire, never retire. <laughs> yes. And for, for folks who have not heard uh, Zig talk about that, he often hit on that as well. Uh, but the, the piece I wanted to hit on there in our culture today, we, as you know, we unfortunately have a lot of people of retirement age who cannot retire because they do not have the means by which to uh, support themselves. And they have to. I'm pretty sure that's not what you are talking about in this. As a principle for making money, never retire. Tell us why you put that in there, what your impetus is there. Well, first of all, um, folks who uh, who look at the situation, they look where they're at and they say, you know, I'm never going to be able to retire. They should actually, um, on one level, they should thank their God profoundly uh, because by avoiding the temptation of retirement, uh, they are able to uh, stay healthy, stay productive, mm-hmm. stay connected. Uh, what happens to retired people is usually quite sad and yes. quite tragic. So um, the best thing of all is to be able to retire, to have enough money to be able to retire, but never to do so. But the next best thing is uh, to stay working out of necessity. The worst thing is, uh, is retirement. And, um, uh, you know, there are, there are so many different ways in which having the wrong end goal uh, corrupts the process along the way. Many, many ways of doing that. You know, uh, marrying with the wrong end goal almost guarantees you marrying the wrong person and setting up the foundations of your marriage in the wrong way. Um, I use golf as an example in spite of the fact that I am hideously ignorant about the game. But even I know that the follow-through is important. And so that means that at the moment my club strikes the ball, the trajectory of that ball is going to be impacted by what is going to happen seconds or milliseconds later when the club ends up over my head, behind my neck, which is insane, excepting it's true. And in exactly the same way, how I'm going to interact with you or with a customer tomorrow or with a vendor the next day is impacted by the fact that at the back of my mind, retirement is the goal. And, and I, again, I lay it out in much greater detail in the 10th chapter of that particular book, Thou Shall Prosper. Okay, on that note, Tom, um, give folks the website and uh, a, an ending word from you. Uh, 
Rabbi, this has been tremendous. I am going to go back and listen to it myself. I have some people in mind I'm going to send it to. Uh, and uh, again, I'm going to go get those books. Tom, give them the website again where they can get that. Uh, are you talking about Ziggler.com or the Rabbi? Rabbi, yeah. Rabbi. I need a rabbi, right? I yep. need a rabbi.com. Actually, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, maybe it'll be safer if I just say rabbi.com. <laughs> no, you need a rabbi.com. You see, I don't need a rabbi because Rabbi Lappin is my rabbi. I've, I've got, got a rabbi.com. Can you come say hello to Tom? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So you need a rabbi.com or rabbi com. This is where you get it. Uh, dad's quote that always, you know, is meaningful to me is he said, you are what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind and you can change what you are and you can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. And I know it went into dad's mind and the rabbi's works were part of it. So if you if you like what Dad did, you need to check these books out. These audio recordings too. And Rabbi, you have a podcast now that I'm getting on my phone as well. So there's so many places to go. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, yeah, I appreciate that, and uh, and really appreciate the chance to spend a little time with both of you. And uh, and and it, it fills me with delight because I know just how many lives you both impact how many people you help and who, how many lives you improve. So uh, truly, truly an honor to, to be shoulder to shoulder with you and to have the privilege of spending a few minutes together uh, anytime at all. It's, it's great. When I'm next in Colorado Springs, Kevin, we must get together. And, and of course, I seldom come to Dallas without uh, being in touch with you, Tom. Right, yes, absolutely. Thank you. It's, it's been an honor. Yes. Kevin, th- I'll let you wrap it up. All right. Yeah, thank you for coming all the way to us from from Israel on an evening there as we talk to you in the morning here. This is this is absolutely one of the most significant messages on money I have ever heard. I'm incredibly excited to give it out uh, to everyone. Folks, again, go to youneedarabbi.com. You can get the book, Thou Shall Prosper, uh, The Ten Commandments for Making Money, and then his new book, Business Secrets from the Bible, Spiritual Success Strategies, for financial abundance. And yes, as you are listening to this podcast, please type in, go up there and type in Rabbi Daniel Lappin. You will find his podcast so you can tune into these messages every, uh, every week and be encouraged and be guided to more financial abundance. Thank you, Rabbi. Have a blessed evening. I will stop the recording now. If you want to stay on the line and just uh, say hi to Tom for a second, please do. But uh, everyone, thank you for tuning in. We will see you on the next Ziggler Show. 